This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, January 28, 2018, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The reader is Dick Lee. The speaker is Sam Ford. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. Scripture reading this morning comes from First um, Peter chapter two verses uh, one through twelve, and just as a note, uh, in this chapter, um, Peter continues uh, his call for believers to live holy lives to please God, and he goes on, verse one: So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the billows rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Sam, and I have the joy of preaching God's Word this morning. So we're going to open up with prayer so that the Lord will move me out of the way and do His work. So if you bow with me. Heavenly Father, we praise You. We praise You for all that You have done to save us through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and to bring us into Your family, to reconcile our relationship with You to reveal to us who we truly are and to equip us to do your work, Lord. I thank you that you have not left yourself a complete mystery, though there are many things mysterious about you, Father. You have spoken to us through your word. You have given us this power, Lord, your word that by your spirit changes us from the inside out. And so I ask you to do that this morning. That you remind us, Lord, if we have forgotten the reality of this world. That you remind us of our eternal hope beyond this world. 
that you remind us of the role we have in this world. Holy Spirit, move me out of the way. Speak the words you need to speak, words of conviction, words of comfort, words of instruction, words of encouragement. But when we are all said and done here, let us be reminded that we gather here to worship you, to glorify you, to make much of you and what you have done for us. Let that be our joy. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, we are going to talk about growing up today. Um, I have the privilege of having an extra dose of sanctification in my life. God blessed me with five kids. That's less than some in this room, though, so you needed a little more sanctification than me, it sounds like. But, man, parenting is that thing that shows how ugly my heart is more than anything else. It is the hardest thing there is. It is way harder than marriage, way harder than pastoring. And so God gave me an extra dose. Now, with each of my kids, uh, I remember most of the births. One, I passed out. That's another story for another day. But the birth of a child is a pretty awesome experience. Um, It's a glorious experience. After nine months of anticipation, the joy of kind of meeting this new person that's been looking like an alien in my bride's belly, it's like, it's there. It's like, this person is here. I was not one of those fools who didn't find out the sex of the child. That's just dumb. I knew exactly who the child was going to be, but then they're there and you're like, wow, you are good looking, right? That's just like amazing. And the birth of the child, it just generates like celebration, it, it generates thanksgiving, it, it, then it generates like kind of like dreams of the future, like this per, who's this person going to be, and, and what are they going to become, and what are they going to do, and, and you just kind of are dreaming, it's a really awesome time. And ideally, right, babies grow up, like that's the plan, they, they're supposed to grow up, and, and then they're supposed to... Uh, after they've kind of pooped their way through many years, become a contributing part of the family other than just poop, uh, right? They're, they're contributing stuff to the family and their personality and in just who they are. And, and then eventually, God willing, they make their own families, right? And they produce their own babies. And it, that's kind of the natural order of things. They grow up and then they, you know, keep going and they reproduce themselves. And... In a similar way, right, spiritually speaking, because we're a church, like there, there are a few things that are, are more exciting than when uh, God's Spirit gives new birth to somebody. That's an exciting time. So I'm going to pick on Ian a little bit. Just got married. Congrats. His bride's here. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, so a lot of you know Ian. Ian's been here for a while. Ian, like, God bless him. He's excited second service. A lot of you guys are sleeping and he's cheering. Love him for that. Um, but I remember when Ian first came to the church uh, and he told me his story after, after Jesus saved him. And he's like, man, when you preach, I just wanted to throw chairs at you the whole time. And I'm like, I'm glad you didn't because he's a pretty big dude, right? He probably could have hucked a chair that distance. And he'd come to Bible study and he'd be like, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I'd be like, all right, cool. But you're here, right? So but eventually, like, he, he, he became a friend, and then Jesus saved him, and he's like, dude, you're like a brother now. And it was like, 
celebration, right? Everyone was excited. And every time that happens, it's an exciting thing, especially when someone is a friend. And, and then again, same kind of things, celebration and thanksgiving. And then like, man, I wonder what the Lord is going to do through this new baby. And, and you start dreaming. And it's very natural and very good. Babies, spiritually speaking, are meant to grow up. And spiritually speaking, those babies are meant to become part of the family. And spiritually speaking, those babies are meant to make more babies, right? That's what making disciples is. You reproduce yourself. And the Bible talks, Jesus talks about how we're supposed to remain childlike in our faith. And that's true. And, and what that all means is, is sermon for another day. But... One of the most exciting things is new birth. One of the most disturbing things is people who remain childlike in their behavior for many years. Christians who never grow up. They're like, what does that mean? That's a loaded thing. Oh, you bet it is. Now, we've been talking about um, the people of the way, right? Before people were called Christians, they were were followers of Jesus, and the followers of Jesus were known as people of the way. That's in Scripture. You can read Acts 9, Acts 10. But they were called that because they lived differently. They looked differently, and they looked and lived differently because they believed differently. That's what Peter started his letter. Like, we believe certain things becoming the people of God starts with believing and, and then translates into hoping, but that's not where it's supposed to stop. We're to keep growing up, right? The Spirit didn't give us new birth. He's been talking about new birth constantly. Being born again, being born again, being reborn. Like He didn't give us new birth so that we would, spiritually speaking, remain crawling, thumb-sucking, poopy diaper babies our whole lives. And yet, we have this kind of Peter Pan spirituality of never growing up. It's in our culture, like, where, like, you know, 30 is the new 16. But I'm talking about spiritually speaking. God intends for us to grow up. And that's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us that you know, spirit's God, the Spirit of God renews us and He cleanses us until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Okay, that's not so, like, sorry ladies, I don't say you need to grow up to manhood, but we're spiritually speaking, right? But there's a mature manhood that we are all spiritually supposed to grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, raise your hand if you are now fully like Jesus. Right? We're in, we're in progress. But there's supposed to be a progress. There's supposed to be a growth. We're supposed to grow up. And so the question is, how's it happen? How do you grow up? How do you become a mature Christian? Fantastic question. Jesus intends for us to grow up. And Peter's going to show us that there's a way to grow up and there's a people actually you grow up with. And then there's something you grow up to do. 
So he starts here in, in chapter two at the very beginning. He's kind of piggybacking. Obviously the chapter, like Peter didn't say, I'm starting chapter two now, right? That's not what happened. Some dude went in later and I think we'll stop it here. So there's a flow that's going on. He's been talking about rebirth. He's been talking about this change that happens in, in someone who's saved by Jesus. And he begins chapter two uh, by saying basically, kind of in parentheses, since you've been born again, since you've been changed, put away all malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then those are really interesting terms. I'm not going to go into every single one of them, but they're very relational terms. Like malice and deceit and hypocrisy. Like that takes people. I'm going to lie to people. I'm going to hate people. I'm going to covet people. These are all works of the flesh. These are all stuff of the old man. This is the stuff that, that died with Jesus and you were reborn to live differently. And if we continue in those ways, not only is it weird, it's like a little kid, I'm sorry, it's like an adult drinking from a bottle. It's wrong. Like, that's screwed up. Why are you still living with old stuff? And to live in these things hinders our relationship with God and obviously hinders our relationship with one another. So he says, put it away, which is a call to action. It's not just passive. We don't just like, okay, I'm a Christian now. Just kind of do it to me, God. Just, just do it to me. Just stop me from sinning. That's not the way it happens. There's an action involved. We, we are to put away, right? And the thing about it is, it's, I like battle terms. Like there's a battle that's supposed to be occurring because there's a, a war being waged. And that is the really, like the distinctive characteristic of a Christian. They've been awakened to the fact that they're in a war zone. Prior to their awakening, they had no clue of the battle was going on. There was no tension. There was no battle at all just did whatever I wanted. I was Lord of my own life, pursuing whatever met my need or desire. But Galatians 5 tells us something happens. Galatians 5, which is famous for the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. Well, earlier, Galatians 5 teaches us that if we walk by the Spirit, that's active. We're walking, right? Not if if we stand by the Spirit. Well, I'm sure that's a good thing to do as well, but we're walking, we're moving. Walk by the Spirit. What will happen? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which are those things that Peter's talking about. Verse 17, four. Here's why they'll happen. If you walk with the Spirit, these flesh things won't happen. Why? Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there's a tension, right? When you become a Christian, it's like, oh man, now I don't like sinning. Now this really stinks. I feel guilty. I feel yucky. I don't want to do this. I might still fall in doing it, but I don't want to. That's the change. You have new desires. And it doesn't mean that you have perfect living anymore, but you have a desire to live differently. 
So there's a war going on. There's a battle going on. And the reality is our spirit's been renewed. We are hidden in Christ. We have a new position in Christ, but that spirit is still encased in this broken body of flesh. And that body of flesh is fighting to win, fighting to get you to do that which dishonors God. And so there's a battle. So he says, walk with the Spirit. And I was thinking about what it meant to walk with God. Um, I was talking to my daughter about it. We, hap- we were going through Genesis 6 and 7, just in this reading plan we're doing. And um, if you didn't know, the first guy, like when the first Bible, when the Bible first talks about someone walking with God, it's a guy named Enoch. It's a weird passage. And no one knows what it means. So don't let them tell you, right? But it says like, this guy was born and he lived this long and this guy died and this guy was born. And then it gets to Enoch and it says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not. He didn't die. I don't know. It's weird, right? He disappeared. He didn't die. Who knows? There's like 17,000 different interpretations of it. The next guy that talks about walking with God is a guy named Noah. Maybe you've heard of him, right? And before it talks about Noah walking with God, it says, the whole world was evil, horrible. It's hard to imagine a world more horrible in terms of evil, inventors of evil than we have right now. But at that time, though there were fewer people, it said that every person's heart and mind was thinking about sin continually. It was pretty bad. He said, but Noah walked with God. And you're like, what does that even mean? He walked with God. And so as you begin to read Noah and you read in verse six and se- um, chapter 6 and 7, kind of like a phrase starts coming out over and over again as God starts to give him some crazy commands. Right? He's like, I want you to build this boat, not next to the shore, like here in the middle of the desert. And it's going to rain. What's rain? It's never rained before. It's going to rain. It's going to be a few years from now, but it's going to rain. Sure it is, Right? And this phrase comes back every time God gives him what amounts to a really crazy command. It says, Noah did all that God commanded him. Over and over again, he did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. Which seems to imply walking with God has something to do with doing everything God commands us to. Even when it seems crazy, right? Even when it seems like, yeah, this is going to happen when? A long time from now, just do it. And so, in many ways, growing up into maturity in Christ is about walking with God, and walking with God is about doing what He commands. Now, what Peter, he kind of goes back to this, take a full circle, he kind of goes back to this infant metaphor, right? Right? So he says, like newborn infants. Now I know we got newborn infants among this place. We got pregnant people all over the place. Okay? Got five kids right here. And we, there are people here who know what it means to have a newborn. Okay? It is gloriously horrible, right? It is, it is late nights. It's, it's, it's a rough pull, right? And now, there's so much more I could say, but he doesn't want us to be infantile in our spirituality, but he wants us to be like, he's making a, be like infants 
in longing for this milk. Okay, well, think about that. Like just, this is the kind of weird stuff I do. I whiteboard this kind of stuff. I don't draw babies, but I would at times, right? Okay, what does that mean? Like newborn, like all these things. Think about a new, like newborns, like they want to eat a lot. All the time. At very inconvenient times, right? Newborn wants to eat one in the morning, two in the morning. I mean, you may have one of those freaky newborns that sleeps like, you know, the unicorn newborn that sleeps like six hours a night. You better appreciate that because there are parents like, I didn't get any sleep last night, right? Because they are up all the time. I got to eat this hour. I got to eat this hour. I got to eat this hour. I got to eat. I got to eat. I got to eat now. Cry. I want to eat. That's a newborn. Infants are cute and they are innocent and they are wonderful, but they are very dependent. They are hungry all the time, crying out all hours, day and night to be fed. And you know what, parents? They will feed that baby every single time that baby cries out because they love that baby and they know if they don't feed that baby, it will die. So I want you to think about that spiritual metaphor for a second. Of crying out to our Lord for spiritual milk. Wondering if He's going to hear you. Oh, He hears you. And He will feed you every single time. And everyone knows the most glorious picture of a newborn is a really fat newborn. A chubby old, big, wrinkled legs, puffy sumo wrestler baby newborn. Because why? That baby's eating good. Fatten them up. Now, this is how we are supposed to approach God's Word. This is how we grow up. Into salvation, it says. Yeah, we're saved, but Paul also says we're being saved. We're, we're growing up. And here's, here's like the, the big takeaway truth, the Twitter truth that you could put out there. Like, everyone has to eat. And you will feast on something. The question is what it will be. Will you long for the spiritual milk of God's Word or will you go for the dirty toilet water that is available everywhere. There are more fountains of toilet water available than there are the one fountain of life. And most people drink from everything else but the fountain of life. But everyone has to eat, and what you eat is going to determine whether you grow or not. See, when Jesus began a work in us, He intended for us to grow. Philippians 1.6 is a fantastic passage and it reminds us, Paul's saying that He who began a good work in you, who gave you new life, He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to grow you. He intends for you to grow up until He returns or you return to Him. And later, Paul will say in the same letter in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12-13, to 13, he says, Work out your own salvation. Like, that's not salvation as in, I'm going to make sure I'm saved. That's the salvation that Peter's talking about growing up into. Like, work it out. Press into it. Dig into it. 
Grow into it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to, and to work for His good pleasure. Our job is not to grow ourselves, but to drink. Like the baby isn't controlling its growth. The baby's just controlling what it's feasting on. And as you feast, you grow and you are changed. We have a salvation to grow up into. And our faith grows insofar as we draw near to God through His Word. The number one question I ask people when I sit down to counsel them, when's the last time you read your Bible? And people receive that as like, oh, you're keeping track of my holiness? No. When's the last time you ate good food? When's the last, like, when you have a diet of Twinkies and Gatorade for years, you're going to be a person that looks like they have a diet of Twinkie and Gatorade. Like, it's just not going it'll, to, it'll keep you alive for a while, maybe a long while, but it's not going to grow you. And so, like, this isn't some amazing news flash, but the Word of God will only mature you if you actually read it. I mean, that, that seems like such a... Fo- People are so offended these days by like, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Oh, because I have to? No, you need to. You need to to grow up. And it's like, what do you mean by grow up? Well, if you go back to that passage in Ephesians 4 that talks about maturing manhood, you'll see it later on goes, so you won't be tossed to and fro by the waves of change and difficulties that come. One of the things of like growing up is just like to be strong. Like throw a newborn in the waves, see how they do. You throw my 10-year-old, he knows how to swim, right? And so like it's, it is, it's more than just like I'm growing up in the knowledge of, no, you're maturing in every single way. You shouldn't expect to grow. You should not expect to get stronger. You should not expect for God to feel closer. You should not expect to be able to endure suffering better if you are not longing for God's Word and in God's Word. Period. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll never suffer. That doesn't mean that you'll never feel weak. That doesn't mean that, that you know, everything will be perfect. It does mean, though, that you will endure it in a way like a mature person, like a strong person, than if you were just weak and being crushed. But then he puts in verse 3, notice what he says. This is kind of sobering. Has a little like hyphen. So when it has a hyphen like that off of verse 2, that means it's going to like describe what they just said. It's kind of like a parenthetical. So he says, long for the Word, the spiritual milk that you might grow up if you've actually tasted the Word. Like there's an if. If you've actually tasted that the Lord is good. Peter, he puts somewhat of a qualifier and and says, look, long for it. Drink of it. Cry out for it often like a baby if you've ever cried out for it. You know, 
if the ways of Christ are unattractive or uninteresting to you, if the um, commands of Jesus are offensive to you or bothersome, it's very possible that you've never tasted of the glories of God's Word and experienced new birth. And yeah, going through the motions isn't going to change that. I have no explanation other than the Spirit of God for someone who wakes up one day and says, man, I want to dig into God's Word. So I know that I'm telling you something that you can't control. But if that desire is there, like, man, I, I, I have that des- That's of God. You may not know exactly how to do it, but I would just say, ask God to give you a longing for His Word. Like, just ask Him. He will. And then you'll start digging into it and you'll start being changed, but ask Him. And if He doesn't get it tomorrow, ask Him again because the very fact you desire to ask is evidence of God's Spirit working in your heart. The truth is, when God's Spirit becomes to dwell in you, God's Spirit desires the things of the Spirit. Like, it, it, it doesn't mean you, you perfectly long for it, that you drink it more than you drink anything else, but it means that if you've been born again, you desire to taste it again and again and again and again. Like a newborn. It's like a newborn takes one little sip, you know, it's like, yeah, no more, right? They're like, I think I'm going to wake up every 15 minutes now because that was a really good idea, right? And what you hope for is like, have you ever seen like the, like the, the baby drunk on baby milk, right? Just like, oh, just like sleepy. That's what you want. That's what we want. Just like reading God's Word like, oh, it's so good. It's kind of verses, <laughs> verses dripping off your mouth. Just like so good. I mean, that's, it's interesting. The psalmist, if you read Psalm 19 or Psalm 119, either one, you know what describes it? It says, about God's Word, more to be desired are they, like the statutes, the laws, the commands, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Like that's, just pray that, Lord, make it sweet to me, not bitter. Make it a joy to me, not a duty. So we grow up, like it's really clear. How do we grow up? We open God's Word. We read it. But he says more than that. He continues in verse 4. And he says, as you come to Him. So he's, again, implying a disposition. Like, you are going to come to Him if we're changed. Like, that's, that's a mark of a Christian. I desire this. I may not sprint. Maybe I'm crawling, but I'm, I'm coming to Jesus. Did you know... The more we commune with Christ, the more we start to be changed to look like Christ. And, and the question is, like, how do, how do you, what does it mean to actually come to Him? Like, what does that really look like? Well, I said one, like, when you, when you think of reading God's Word, just think of listening to Jesus. He's spoken to you. I right, are always like, I wonder what Jesus is saying. Well, He said a lot. It's living and active. You might want to listen to Him. Prayer. Talk to Jesus. Share your, your praises. Share your needs. Share your struggles. Share your doubts. He wants to hear you. You know, Jesus says that when you serve the least of these, you're serving me. So in some ways, 
coming to Jesus is, is serving. Jesus says, look, I give you these commands. I'm telling you to do those things so that you'll abide in me. Like, abide in me and your joy will be made full. So like obedience is coming to Jesus and spending time with Jesus. Telling other people about Jesus. Like, just think about, okay, so what does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, it's like any relationship. I'm listening to Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm going out with Jesus. Like, I'm with Jesus. So as you come to him, he says, this living stone. So something's happening. That's an interesting term. It's an Old Testament term. In order, Peter's Jewish, so he's going to bring these Old Testament ideas in. But, but Jesus is called this living stone. And he uses in verses like 8 and 9, like a combination of all these Old Testament verses, all that talk about stones. So I'll read one of them. It's out of Isaiah 28. I, I feel like I have a different translation, but I'll read this, and if it's different, just go with it. Isaiah 28, verses 16 to 17, says this, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So he says, there's a stone. It's Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus, there's a stone, a cornerstone. You put your life on the foundation of this stone. You'll never be disappointed. That's Jesus. Jesus here is called the cornerstone. And we know, maybe you don't, the cornerstone is that stone that the builders would use to set the first stone set to, to set the whole design for the foundation. And everything was measured off that stone. And insofar as you were aligned with that stone, the building would be built correctly. And insofar as you were not aligned with that particular stone, the building would be built, but it likely would fall down and not be built correctly, at least in time. So as you talk about coming to Jesus, it's not just, I'm going to come to Jesus and just think about Jesus and sit back and go, oh, Jesus is great. It's about aligning your life to Jesus where He becomes the determiner of daily decisions, of big decisions. Like We kind of just bring like big decisions to Jesus. Where should I live? What should I do for a living? Like whatever. But we're talking about all of life being designed, if you will, aligned, if you will, according to what Jesus says. And it's not just a stone. I love it. It's a living stone. He could have just said a cornerstone, but it's a living stone because so many um, make religions, if you will, just these old like instructions. So this isn't about instructions. This isn't about like, well, here's the, the, the codified stone of how you should live, how you should do your life. This is about aligning yourself to a real person. Too often we're forgetting that Jesus is alive. That he's real. That he actually intends to communicate with you and actually cares enough about your life to talk to you and to direct you by his spirit about what you're supposed to do with your life every step of the way. He's a living stone He's alive. This is not some dead religion. He is a person. And as we come to Him, we are changed. Now, the more you come to this living person, Jesus, 
the more you will begin to look like Him. But there's a little bit of a warning here. Peter says this. You realize that the world rejected Jesus. Okay, so let's just do the math. If I endeavor to align my life like Jesus, I'm going to speak like Jesus. I'm going to give like Jesus. I'm going to act like Jesus. I'm going to serve like Jesus. I'm going to love like Jesus, right? The man who is sinless. Insofar as I endeavor to live like Him according to His Word and do what He says, you are going to be rejected by the world like He was. He was perfect! He did nothing wrong. And yet, they rejected Him. We have this tendency to believe like, oh, the more I live like Jesus, people are going to really love me like they did Jesus. They killed Jesus! Everybody killed Jesus! The Romans killed Jesus, the Gentiles, the Jews, the Pharisees, everyone killed Jesus. Insofar as we live like Jesus, we are going to be rejected. But what does it say? The stone that was rejected was loved by God. So we all have to make a decision in our lives like, well, whose love do we care about? Because there's lots of approval you can get from the world and the best way to get approval from the world is to not line your life up with what Jesus commands. And you will be loved. But insofar as we live like Jesus, we will be hated like Jesus was. But that's our goal. Like we're, we're designed to grow up into Jesus, into mature man. And he says, as you come, this is beautiful, like this living stone where you're directing your life, you, like living stones, are being built up. Like, that's a lot of imagery. But if nothing else, we're not alone. And I don't just mean like, hey, I know Bobby's hated too. Power to you. That's not what I'm talking about. We are actually being built up. It says, as you come to Him, you yourselves, talking to the whole audience He's writing to, are like living stones being built up together. What this is revealing is something that's really difficult for us in the Northwest to get. So you guys have heard of the Seattle chill, probably. People think it's a, like, you can Google it. You'll find it, right? This idea, like, we'd struggle with community. My buddy who's from the South, remember him going back South uh, a little bit ago for a, a sabbatical or a trip, I can't remember what it was, and he told me, like, you go to the grocery store there, and you've got, like, 17 friends by the time you come out, and you've got, like, four invitations to dinner, okay? You, like, go, like, oh, I'm just buying a coffee. How you doing? All right. You want to come over? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Friends. Here, you'd be lucky to look anyone in the eyes when you go to the store. Like, someone looks at you, be like, what's wrong with you? Leave me alone, right? We struggle with relationship. Now, that's partly a Northwest thing, but it's actually partly a human thing. But what we're told here is an amazing truth that we are being built up together, which means you're never being built by yourself. You're growing up, certainly as an individual, but you'll never realize the fullness of your salvation until you understand the people of God that's being built up into the spiritual house for a holy priesthood. In Ephesians 2, it actually says that we're being built up to be a dwelling place for God. 
This is the thing that is so hard to to get people to to understand in our church-hopping, skip-to-the-next-church-world. I think our American culture screws us up because there's 17 churches you could go to right now. And if there's only one church that you can go to, right? Like if we're somewhere where basically in order to go to the next church, you have to cross a minefield to get to, that'd be fantastic, right? Because you'd be stuck in one place and in that place, you'd be forced to grow up together. You'd be forced into community. You'd be forced into like, you know what? We're going to be family. We're going to, you bug me. Well, I know and I love you. Okay, I love you too, but it bug me. And like, we grow up together and we're changed and we become this spiritual house, this dwelling place for God. Like we, do we understand what's going on here? This is not just like getting together as some kind of club. This is not just getting together because, hey, we happen to have a space. We are intended to grow together into to being this spiritual expression of God's kingdom on earth where we offer spiritual sacrifices. And at that point, you go, offering spiritual sacrifice? Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, right? Spiritual house, priesthood, temple, that's sounding freaky, especially when you start saying sacrifices. You're like, what if I was like, yep, we are a spiritual house. The door opens up. Like this lamb comes in, you're like, what? What are, we, what are you doing? It's obviously not that, but it's again, Jewish language. We are told in the Bible what kinds of sacrifices. We, we no longer have sacrifices of lambs because there has been a sacrifice. The Lamb of God has been sacrificed for the sins of the world. His name is Jesus. And it's been covered. But we're still, the Bible says, making spirit. Okay, so we can still make sacrifices. What's that mean? I'm going to be sacrificial and give you the extra piece of pizza. No. <laughs> Though that might work. In a family of seven, it does, right? You be sacrificial. No. Romans 12.1. If you read that, here's what it says. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Like when we say, okay, let's worship, we typically mean singing. Nothing wrong with that. That is worshipful. That is worship. That is, in many ways, declaring the glory and value and greatness of God with our words. But did you know the Bible says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God? You know, you can worship God through eating, give God glory through drinking, and also rob Him of glory by eating or drinking, depending on how you do that. And so this idea of like, okay, I'm going to make spiritual sacrifices by how I live? Yes. What part of me? Like, well, present your body. So what's included in my body? My hands, my feet, my mind, my words, my energy, my whatever. How we live declares God's greatness. It does a spiritual sacrifice, if you will, in the same way that we saw sacrifices in the Old Testament. Declares the glory of Jesus and what He has done through me. Now, he says something interesting here. He says, you're making sacrifices accept, made acceptable through Jesus. 
So this is not about just, I'm going to go do a bunch of good works in the name of Jesus, impress him, and be considered holy. Go ahead and read Matthew 7 if you want to like fill your shorts. Because it's a scary, scary passage. It's the passage where guys come before Jesus in the end times and say, Lord, we did some amazing works in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did rad things. And what does he say? Depart me. I never knew you. They go to Jesus talking about themselves largely. Look at the mighty. He's like, I don't know who you are because you ultimately weren't doing them for Jesus in the name of Jesus by Jesus. And so Jesus isn't impressed with our works. He doesn't, we don't come to him like basically in our own name and go, oh, look what I've done. He's like, wow, that's really impressive. The truth is, anything that we bring in and of ourselves to the Lord, he's not impressed by. But when we come through Jesus, what does that even mean, coming through Jesus? It means coming to the Lord before our holy God and saying, I got nothing. My best ain't nothing. But I'm hidden in Jesus. And his best really impressed you. His best was rad. And when we become hidden in Christ and seen through Christ's perfect righteousness, when you then bring a work to God, even if it's pathetic, he's like, that's awesome. If it's actually an effort, right? It's like a child, right? Child coming to the Father, you know this image. How many times like when our child comes to us, he's like, hey, look at this mud pie I made, right? And you're like, no one can eat that. You're not going to say that. Or the drawing or whatever it is. You're just going to go, oh, that's so awesome. Right? My kid comes with some Lego thing that looks like some like, disease. And you're like, you're like, look at this spaceship. I'm like, this. that's the most amazing spaceship I've ever seen. Did you know that that's how God the Father sees us through Christ? Sometimes we're so worried about like, the, the quality of our work. It's like, dude, in Christ, don't worry. He's, he loves it. And we, that happens together. We've been built up together. There's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, but guess what? We're all different. And we all work differently. But as we come together and every part works together, we're built up together. I need you. You need me. My spirituality, not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a brother in Christ, impacts your spirituality which is an amazing thing to think about in some ways, not to be Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me, I complete you. Like, we don't have, if you're a hand and I'm an arm, we need each other. Otherwise, we're incomplete. It's always says we're being built up together. We're not just growing individually, we're being built into this thing, this beautiful thing that totally glorifies God. And then, the last thing he tells us in the last few verses. We not just grow up, we don't just grow together, but we actually grow into his mission. He talks about the rejection of the Jews. And he says that their rejection resulted in our redemption. And it is my prayer because my whole family, my mom's side of the family is Jewish. Uh, they're waiting for a Messiah who's not going to come because he already has. 
And it's my prayer that they will be provoked, as Romans 11 tells us, to jealousy as they see the genuineness of our faith. And that one day, there will be a mass number of Jews who are coming to faith. And it will be awesome. But that hasn't happened yet. This is why Peter can say, they stumble as they were destined to do. But he says, but you. And then he describes God's people as if they are the Jewish people that God had chosen. He says some amazing things. He says, you, Christian, are everything that Israel is meant to be. You are a chosen race. Which is an interesting word to think about because like, you don't choose your race. Right? Well, in our culture today, things are getting a little weird. Right? So people are like, I'm going to be Chinese now. Like, really? Okay. And we're getting freaky. But in the real world, you're born and you are what you are. So he says, you are a chosen race. No matter what color you are, the fact is, you are a son or daughter of the king. He has done, he has given you an identity that goes way over ethnicity, way over like social status. It is an identity that is secure. You're a chosen race. That's how he talks to the Jewish people. So I've chosen you are special. Then he goes on, you are a royal priesthood. These aren't like someday you'll be a royal priesthood. Keep working at it. You are. And the priesthood, like, man, that's such an amazing... For a Jewish guy to say that, the priesthood, those are the guys who had the authority and the right to go into the presence of God. And he says, that's who you are. You have the rights of the priesthood. He's not writing to pastors. He's writing to every Christian that you can draw near to the throne of God with confidence through Christ and be in the presence of your Father like only the priesthood could do. Yes, having pastors is helpful, but you don't need me to engage in relationship with a holy God. That's amazing. He says, you are a royal priesthood. You have a position. Then he says, you are a holy nation which in and of itself is pretty amazing to think about. We're not just a people, we are a nation, but we're not actually in our homeland right now, right? He later says we're exiles, but we're this nation in exile. And so what does that mean? You think about that. If you're a holy nation, so you have a citizenship, and you are um, basically in exile, that means your role in this place is an ambassador. You represent the king. You represent the kingdom. And if that's the case, this place, our building, is supposed to be an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom. So we're ambassadors in an embassy, which leads us to the last part, which he says, you are a people of his own possession that, there's that word again, for this purpose. Did you know you have something to do? If you're a chosen people, your royal priesthood, you can commune with God, you have the things and the, the words of God that you are called to teach and to share, and you're an ambassador in this embassy. He says, you are that so you may proclaim Him 
Who showed you mercy and brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light? Do you know all the things he could have said? You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people in my own possession so you can have a really comfortable life and not struggle with anything and just go about your day studying the Bible and telling no one. Could have said that. But you realize that the majority of people in the world are right now looking for what their purpose in life is. And if you are in Christ, you don't have to look any further. Your job, whether that be in your own family, in your neighborhood, at your job, in this community, wherever you are sent, is to proclaim Him who showed you mercy and brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light. We have an identity. We got a role. We got a community of people to do it with. And we got something to do. That's who we are. And if you believe that, right? If you actually believe that I actually have new life in Jesus, I actually have hope after death in Jesus, like you start to actually believe that there's no way for you not to live radically different in this world. That will be the natural outcome of this. I will close with these last verses. He says in verse 11, I urge you, like he's, he's urging like a brother, like a friend. I'm urging you, right? He's told them, look, you're in Christ. This is how you grow up in Christ. This is who you grow up with in Christ. Now I urge you, he says, abstain. Fight sin. Implying it's going to be a fight, kind of going back to the beginning. Deny your passions. But he doesn't just tell them that. He also says, live godly lives. Jeremiah is an awesome prophet in chapter 2 verse 13 he gives us a rad statement God speaking through Jeremiah says my people have committed two sins they've stopped drinking from the water I gave them and they've made themselves cisterns broken cisterns who can't hold any water did you know it's not enough for you to go I'm just not gonna sin anymore that's not enough it's not enough just to stop drinking toilet water you have to begin to pursue godliness, to begin to long for that, that clean, pure water of Jesus. And then there's a goal for it, right? Okay, so I'll do that. What's the impact? Notice what it said. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let me give you a really important truth, and please hear me. Insofar as you commune with Christ, you begin to look like Christ. And if there's anything that characterizes Jesus Christ is that he was other-oriented. He was about everybody else's, particularly their salvation. And insofar as you start to mature in Christ, you will be about others' salvation. Wanting to see people enjoy a new hope and a new life in Christ. So often we're like, oh, hey, we need to read our Bibles. We need to live God. Why? Why should I do that? What it says here, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that word's kind of weird. It doesn't really appear anywhere else. But the Bible never talks about non-believers glorifying God. What I believe this is talking about 
is the impact that our godly lives and our disposition towards Christ and sin and all these things, our living as people of the way, actually impacts people's salvation. The eternal destinies. So I don't say like, live this way and your life will go better. Live this way. Pursue these things. And you may see someone saved as a result. As they watch you, and as Peter will later say, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, implying that you're living differently as a people who have hope in, in God's Word, with God's people, living for God's glory. And people are like, oh my gosh, and they are saved. That's the amazing privilege it is to be an ambassador for Jesus. In summary, number one, eat up. Eat God's Word. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, and eat it again. Two, be prepared to be built up. Right, getting built up together with God's people. And then, insofar as you do that, all you'll do is just you'll point up. You'll point up in suffering. You'll point up in people's greatest time of need. You'll point up in your own time of need. And you'll just be talking about Jesus and the glories that are come in the eternal hope with Him. Amen? Let's pray.